Thank you, Andreas, and thank you for the worship team. Just look next to, at the person next to you and say, you are God's gift to this world. Wow, that's a big thing to say. So now today we start with a new series calling Love That Heals the Pain. And for those that have been journeying for with us so far this year, of course this year we talk about love as a whole. We talk about exhibiting God's glory. And over the last three years, we as doctors said that over this next four years, we're going to talk about how do we exhibit God's glory. And last year, we talked about the theme called faith. And this year is the theme about love. And earlier this year, we talked about God's love for us. And then we moved on our love for one another. And this last part of this series is going to focus on how do we actually take love and how do we exercise love and mobilize it in our lives so that it can heal the pain of the people in this world that we're serving in. And I want you to think about it, and just as Hinka was sharing, pain is not always something that's visible, is it? We don't often like to talk about our pain. We are so conditioned in ourselves when people ask you, how are you doing? What is the first response? I'm doing well. How are you going? What is the other response? We're always busy. There's no, no, none time when you find somebody never saying that they're not busy. But pain is not always that visible unless you entice people to talk a little bit more, unless you delve in a little bit deeper and say to them, listen, what's really going on inside of you? I can see that with your mouth you are telling me that all is well with you, but when I look into your eyes, when I look into your spirit, I can see and I can sense, and that's where the discernment of the spirit is so important in your life, you can sense that something is not all well. And how do we delve into that? How do we get into that pain that is unseen to us? And we have to understand that the church of God, when we sang this morning what he's done, when we've enjoyed the emblems here and saying, Lord, I take this bread in remembrance of you and the wine as, as the sign of your blood being spilled for us, being given to us, Lord, so that we may experience this liberation. That's only the starting point. What is done was done on the cross of Calvary. But what is keep on doing through our lives is exactly this mobilizing his love through the church to be an extension of what Jesus left behind, what he has completed on the cross. Hence the Great Commission. If Jesus was still around, we didn't have to do all of what we're doing now. But God invited us to come and partner with him to say, hey, now that I'm going to prepare you a place, I want to mobilize you so that you can go and you can be an expression of my love to a world that desperately needs it and that is in need of healing. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. Maybe not that long. But think about this. What is love? What does love look like for you? What is your memory of love? And without asking you to respond to that, I can immediately tell you that most of us' experience of love would be that love can be very painful. Love is the thing that can hurt the most. But love is also intended to be beautiful. If you see John 3, 16, this is exactly what God says, for God so loved the world that he gave. He did something physically and practically. He gave his son so that we may be liberated and so that we may sit here today. But what is love? I don't know how many of you are on my age demographic, but back in the day there was a band called Transvision Vamp. Who remember that band? And what was the song that they said? I don't want your money, honey. I want your love. Da -da 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 -da. 
And I don't want your money, honey. I want your love. People are desperate for love. And you can go and listen to most of the worldly songs. Whenever they sing about love, it's about the pain that love has caused. And the desire to experience love that is full. I can't recall the singer's name, but he says, What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. It's all about the pain that love has caused. Go and watch any movie. In any movie, when it's about love, it's first about the pain that love has caused. And then about finding the truth within love. And when God said that I am love, he doesn't give love. He is love. When he is giving love, he says that I am love. And because I am love, I'm able to dispose of that love. And I'm able to enable you to be love to the people in the world. But if you've got the wrong concept and the the wrong construct of love within your heart and the wrong experiences, how are we going to be able to give that? You see, we first have to understand it for ourselves before we can be that for others. 2 Corinthians 2.14 verse 16 says the following. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. There's no triumph outside of Christ. Triumph is within Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Now the word diffuses means to spread across a number, a big group of people. And when he says, when he's called us through triumph in Christ to diffuse the fragrance of his knowledge in every place, it means that God has already embedded in your spirit, in your person, the ability to spread across multitudes of people his fragrance. If you read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 in the message, he says that you are the light of the world to give God's color to the world. He says that you are the salt of the earth so that you can release the godly flavors of God in this world. So think again about the definition. What is love? What is love, Lord? Am I an expression of that love? Because when we think about love from a worldly perspective, we think about the tangible things, the things we can see, but it's always based on a feeling. It's always based on an emotion. And where he says, yeah, we, um, through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. If you do not walk a strict path and a good path with the Lord, how can you diffuse and release what he is if you don't know whose it is? We make this declaration every Sunday, and we haven't made it this morning to say, this is my Bible. This is the truth that I believe. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. We make this declaration, but we cannot make a declaration if we do not have a relationship with the author. You can easily meet people, and when we talk about love, Lord, to be the ones that disseminates this love into this world, you can easily see people that speak about it, but have no experience of what it really is. Diffuses. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ. What a, what a nice metaphor is that. I don't want you to smell the person next to you now physically. But whom of you, you know what your, your, your husband or your wife or your children smell like, don't you? What's better than the smell of a little baby? You know, when you've powdered them with the Johnson's baby powder. It's just that smell. It's that fragrance that releases. Whenever you give your wife or your husband a hug, they sometimes lean into you and say, Oh, I just love your smell. Not that garlic breath in the morning. It's a different smell. 
But he says, we are the fragrance of Christ. A fragrance means that people can smell us. People can experience us. They can hear us. They can see us. And how we express this love of God. But people that is hurt also hurts others. Especially if you do not have a good concept of what love is. He says, amongst those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. So it's not restricted for a specific group of people. For God so loved the world. It's available to everyone. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, our aroma of life leading to life. You see, before we can rush out to do or to be, we first need to learn, Lord, what does your love look like in my life? Do I have an understanding of what love is? When I say it is done, what is done? What is completed on my behalf, he now enables me to do for others. Jesus says, no greater love as a man who has laid down his life for another. What does that look like for your life? How do we lay our life down daily for our family, for our community, for the people in the workplace? Alan Platt has said the following, he says, being in an incarnational church means we have to grasp on who Christ is and who we are in him. And how that translates to our everyday life. In other words, when I have the relationship with the author of life and the author of love, I then can also go and be an expression of him wherever I go. Because I understand the one that feeds me. We can come here into the church on a Sunday morning and we can come and fill the tank. But if we do not empty that tank during the week, what are you coming to fill the next Sunday? If you come here with a full tank, what are you going to put to it and give out? When you go to the petrol station, what petrol do you put your, uh, fill your car with? Who's filling with 98? Others fills with 95. Others fill the diesel. And when the car says, this car should only use 98, the cheapskates amongst us must say, goodness, no, 98 is too expensive. I'm going to put 95 in it. Or I'm going to put 91 in it. And if you do not follow the instructions, eventually what you have not obeyed or uh, 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 if you have not aligned yourself with the instructions will have an impact on the engine of your vehicle down the line. Whether it's a marketing gimmick or whatever the case may be, it doesn't matter. The question is, when God comes and says, spend time with me daily. Pray, read the word, meditate upon it, allow it to flow through your life and allow it to change your life. Allow that fragrance to be released. If we do not do that every day, something else will fill the space. And that something else will distort our view of love and life. He says, this affects how we, I relate to and treat the fellow believer and the lost neighbor. The message translation says it as follows. Through us, he brings knowledge of Christ. So remember now, Jesus has moved on to be with God. He has left the church behind to be loved, to bring the healing to the nations, to bring faith, love, and hope to our neighborhoods. John chapter 1 verse 14, he says, And Jesus became flesh and walked among us. In other words, Jesus came to show us how it should be done, and then he left. And then he said to the church, Now you go and do as I have done. And then he also go on by saying, And greater things than this you will do. 
And I'm asking you, where are the Smiths Wigglesworths amongst us? Where's the Catherine Coolmans amongst us? Where's the people amongst us that can still walk into a place and raise a person from the dead through their prayers and through the faith that they have and through the love that they have for those that are broken? They are here. It's only for us to get to that point where we believe that God has released that love in us and that faith in us so that we can say, Lord, not only what you've done, but what you continue to do through my life will enable us to take your love to the world and to heal the brokenness of this world. See, we are to call to inculcate the character of Christ into the community. What does it mean to inculcate? It means to teach, to indoctrinate the community that say that, hey, there's a love that's different to the love that the world has. There's love that you always experience as painful, the love that you always experience as a feeling that is missing or an emotion that is missing. There's something greater than that. It's the aroma of Christ that fills the word. You see, but we have to choose to exhibit those kingdom principles. And what is kingdom principles? What is kingdom culture? It is something that doesn't look through the lens of a restricted worldview of how you've grown up. I say again, and I've said it many times before, love is something that's inherent to us. We are born with it. Hate is something that you are taught. Racism and discrimination is something you're taught. It's not something that's inherent part of your DNA. It's the environment that you grow up in that teaches you those things. I always say I love, uh, uh, what do you call it now, disabled children, but uh, what do they call them? Special, what do they call them? Well, special needs children. Well, not special needs, it's a different word for it. But they, are, they do not have the capacity to hate. When you see those children, their parents always have to, you know, pull them away from people. Don't hug the people. Don't love them. Don't smile with them. Don't laugh with them. People don't like that stuff anymore. But these children do not have the capacity to do something other than what they know. And we have to say to ourselves, but that is actually God's DNA in us, to love without condition. Without preference. Without a different perspective. What is a worldly perspective of love? I put it on the screen there for you. It says, in a worldly context, love is a complex and a multifaceted human emotion. Because we normally feel love to say, oh, I've got a feeling. When I look at you, there's something, there's these butterflies in my stomach. And we base it on a feeling. And that love is so much built on that feeling. And the moment that the feeling wanes the love is out of the door but that's infatuation that's that feeling of being in love and he says it's characterized by affection deep attachment and a desire for connection often intertwined with empathy kindness and a profound sense of connection between individuals fostering joy support and companionship that's a worldly perspective but what is the biblical perspective of love love as described in the bible is a what a selfless and a sacrificial affection that reflects what? God's nature. So suddenly you see the difference between the worldly love that is about all an emotion and about me to say now this is a love that doesn't reflect me but reflects the character and the nature of God to the world, to the people that I'm engaging with. It's emphasizing unconditional care, compassion and goodwill to wound to others. 
It's looking outward. It's a love that looks outward, away from self. Transcending personal interests and demonstrating a commitment to serve and not lift one another. You see, people see the gospel and how we act and how we operate. People have fallen out of love with the church because they've seen the church as something that's similar to what the world is. They don't offer anything different. And the way for us to correct that is to say, Lord, let us become the love. Let us become an expression of that, what God has called us to be. And let us do that for your will and for your honor. You see how, me, how people will see God? Is how they will experience God through your and my love. We can walk out of this door this morning and say, my tank has been filled. And I'm not going to do anything with what God has entrusted me today. And then you're going to live this dualistic life in the world. And you're going to talk like the world. And you're going to behave like the world. There's nothing different to your behavior than the person that is in the world. And that's the problem. You see, our behavior needs to be different. Our behavior needs to testify there's something different inside of us. There's a different spirit, an opposite spirit operating in our hearts. One that loves, that do not hate. And we will see that to what our expression is. He says, transcends personal interest and demonstrating a commitment to serve and uplift one another. So in essence, we can say love is God's faithful presence in this world. Love equals God's faithful presence in this world. Through who? Can you say to somebody, through me? Say to somebody, through me. That's how God expresses his faithfulness. His love is expressed through the faithfulness and his faithful presence in this world through you and I. You and I that needs to display that. And again, you may sit here this morning and similar to that song, what is love, baby, don't hurt me. You maybe have that experience in your life, but you can walk away from that and say, Lord, I know a love that is different. And I love when Ingo said earlier, us as men, we don't really always talk about our problems and, and we do not like to be vulnerable. And sorry for the word, but that's rubbish. God has not, God has not created us to be like that. When God has created men and women, when he created the woman, he says, I'm going to create you someday because you are alone. He saw that man was alone and that he needed help. So whenever we walk as men in this world and say, oh, I don't need a woman's help. Sorry for you. God decided you need help and he created help. Not a slave, but a help. A person that can listen to you. A person to whom you can be vulnerable. A person to whom you can share those deepest fears and deepest thoughts. We don't always have to be the cowboys. It's that cowboy in my mindset that takes us away from the love that God has actually called us to be because we say, oh, I don't hear you say that you love me, but I say it all the time. Oh, you can see through the things that I do because that's a mindset we have. I don't have to say it because you can see it. Well, we need to say it and we need to be it and we need to do it. Love is a verb. It's something we do. It's not something we only say. It's something we do, and we do it sincerely. So you see, and that's where Christ is being fully God, who created the universe, chose to come down to us, to be one of us. When he says, and Jesus became flesh and walked amongst us, he came and showed us the example of what it should be. So how do we as Doxadaya, how can we express our love? How can we address the pain within our communities and in your workplace and in your family? How many of you may be sitting here and you've got pain within your family circle that's been going on for such a long time? And God has given us the ability to come and change this 
and to touch this and to do something about this. And the first thing, the first guidance we give here is to say, love one another. That's what the Bible teaches us. Love one another. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. I don't see in that scripture there that that's an invitation. It doesn't say, if you feel like it, love one another, for love is from God. No. He says, beloved, let us love one another. Now remember, John is talking to the church. And it's, easily, it's easy when we're in a church environment and when we are Christian by, by the title, but we are not walking out the love that God is giving us. And that's the reminder he's giving them here. He says, as much as we are church, as much as we know all these things, I want to instruct you and remind you that we need to be love. And we need to extend this to one another. Love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And we know Jesus said to his disciples, if you love one another, that is how people will know that you are my disciples. So it is in the doing. It is in uh, exercising that love. Second Thessalonians 1 verse 3 says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. So this love moves us to what? It moves us to forgiveness of one another. It moves us to ministry to one another. To minister to, but also to be ministered to. You see, it's easy to stand on this side and to minister to everybody because you feel you need to minister to everyone and you need to embed into their lives and impart on them you know, what it is to be. But you also need to be the one on the receiving end. You need to the one be the one that receives that forgiveness. You need to the one to receive that generosity. And this is a big problem, actually, for many people. Sometimes we know how to be generous, whether through your time, treasure, or talent. But sometimes people come and they want to be generous to you. And what do you do? Say, no, 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 I don't need that. No, don't help me. Oh, don't do this. Or don't do that. No, I, I've given out of the goodness of my heart. I don't want you to reciprocate that at all. You see, we also need forgiveness as much as we need to forgive. Love for one another, this sign that says forgiven, say, Lord, I have forgiven, but Lord, also I ask for forgiveness. You see, and that forgiveness heals the pain of the unforgiveness. It heals the sickness of those that may be going through that. And it also addresses that for yourself. See, when we think about forgiveness, forgiveness is not just, you know, about loving one another or forgiving one another. It's also the forgiving of self, to be liberated from that within yourself. The second thing we talk about is to love thy neighbor. So we say, well, why, how is love one another different from love thy neighbor? Because love my neighbor is now closer to home. Love one another is everybody. But love thy neighbor is the person and the people that you engage with every day. It's not just the person living next door to you. Is that person in the workplace? Is that person that you meet at school? Is that person maybe when you go to the store or when you're in the shops? At that point, when you're engaged with somebody, that is your neighbor at that point. And it comes in Romans 1 verse 3, 13 verse 9 says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not be false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, or else, or are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when you think about that, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, 
If there's no self-love, if you do not love yourself, how is it possible to love someone else? To love thy neighbor means to respect other people, to respect their space, to respect where they are at. They may not be where you and I am. They not, may not be in the same place with God where you are. It means to be hospitable, to show hospitality. When we, when we do coffee there at the back, it's hospitality. When you invite somebody into your home to come for a meal, that's hospitality. Say, Lord, do I respect people's boundaries? Do I respect their opinion about stuff? That they may not be thinking the same way that I am, but regardless of that, Lord, I will love them regardless. I will be hospitable towards them regardless. I will be available to them regardless. We all know that the biggest problem today in the world is loneliness. People have digital relationships, not real one-on-one relationships like here. I can challenge you now, go and find some of the, the millennials and uh, maybe the Gen Z. See how many of them can carry a conversation and, and they can look you in the eye while they do that. It's a struggle. Even after COVID, so many adults socially struggle to integrate again. So Lord, if we have to love our neighbor, we need to understand that many people are fighting demons and storms that we do not know of. And we cannot be prejudiced as a regard. We just need to come and say, Lord, how do we make space for them? How can we love them as ourselves? And that begins with loving yourself. Galatians chapter 5 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall, again, it's not optional, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Last night when people started shooting crackers again and our dogs were going crazy, didn't love the neighbor that much, did we? Well, got out of the door at some point and wanted to go and knock on doors and say, hey, please be considerate. Or at least come and have a conversation before you shoot all these crackers or fireworks. But when you look beyond that, say, Lord, how can we fill that gap? How can we help people fill and understand that gap? That God is love. And that all these other things that's creating a void and we're trying to fill that void with all these worldly things, Lord, How can we help them understand that you are love? And what is the main thing that everybody yearns for in this world is acceptance. Loving your neighbor, making room for them, being hospitable towards them, being available, creates a space of saying, hey, I accept you for who you are. I accept you for who you are and for where you are. And if God will, we will journey together and we will go on and heal the pain of unacceptance. Now, the third one is becoming a little bit more challenging. He says, now love your enemies. Good Lord. How many of us like to sit on the sideline? You know, you're on the reserve bench. You're not playing in the team, but when the team celebrates, you want to celebrate because you have done nothing. You have to be on the field to really appreciate the effort that has gone into the game. You have to be in the race to understand what it means to say, when we've gone through the struggle, We need to be able to push through because of what we've been taught. Loving your enemy, again, goes back to what I said earlier about the biblical perspective of love. It's saying I'm looking away from myself and I'm presenting God's characteristics and God's love to a world that desperately needs it. This enemy that I experience is maybe not because of what I am doing, but because of what that person is going through. 
or maybe I am going through something that is causing that person to behave towards me in a certain way, and I need to be able to listen and discern in the spirit of what I need to change in that regard. Matthew 5, verse 44, and 1 John 4, 20 says the following, But I say to you, love your enemies. Now, he says three things here. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you. It's all do words. It's all verbs. Love them, bless them, and do good to them. On my recent trip for work to Amsterdam, I talked to one of the guys from Algeria, a Muslim Christian. He was a Muslim and became a Christian, and I said to him, share with me your story. I'm always interested in hearing somebody's stories. And as much as we've gone to discuss a lot of worldly things about Bible engagement, I said to him, share with me your story. How did you come to be where you are? And he told me his story, how he was displaced. He was uh, what we talk about as a diaspora community. He was displaced from his community because of war in his country. He was put in a refugee camp and he was there as a 12-year-old boy and all he knew was Islam and Allah and all these things. And now they have committed themselves to that life. And he came upon the Gospel of John. Somebody gave him a Gospel of John in the refugee camp. And he says, in this Gospel of John, I discovered this Jesus. It's got a completely opposite spirit than Allah. It's got a completely opposite uh, viewpoint of the world than what all the other religions is teaching. Here he tells me to love these people that has done this hurt to my people and to my country and that's killed my parents. Here he is showing love. The fact that I'm now giving my life to him, I've been excommunicated from my whole family because of being a Muslim, now becoming a Christian. And I felt okay because I felt a security and a safeness and a peace that only came through that engagement with one scripture portion in the Gospel of John. For God so loved the world. And I was included in that, he says. He became the head of that Bible society in Albania or in Algeria. And despite the war, war between those different countries, Algeria, Albania, Israel, Gaza, the people that were there representing Bible work, it was so amazing to see that despite the wars and the conflicts that's going on, they can look at each other not as enemies, but they can look at each other as brothers and sisters and say the love of God builds a bridge across all of these things. Love your enemies. Bless them who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. 1 John 4.20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So what does love do? When loving your enemies, it heals the brokenhearted. At one point, your heart also looked similar to the heart on the left-hand side, broken in pieces, because there's nothing as good as love, but there's also nothing as painful as love, if mismanaged, if mistreated, if misbehave. It heals the pain of the brokenness of the hardened hearts. And that's where David said, Lord, come, search my heart. Lord, take this hardened heart out of me and replace it with a heart that can feel, a heart that can breathe, a heart that can experience. And I want to close with this. The, the, the music team can come up again, the worship team. 
Now that we know these three things, love thy neighbor, love one another, love thy neighbor, and love thy enemies. Three specific areas that God is calling us to, to express love. How can we take this into this world? You see, we sit here in New Zealand, we've got the freedom to express love. We've got the freedom to live the word and to, to read the word of God. We've got the freedom to come together like this, to celebrate communion like this. But when you travel the world and you engage with Christianity in other areas, some of them can't do what we do. They yearn to do what we do here right now. And you know how they do it? In secrets, in underground churches, in home churches. And they know that they can pay with their life if they get caught out. And yet we that have this freedom do so little with it, which is sometimes a shame. To say, Lord, you have called us to mobilize. And while we can be mobilized here in our nation, what do we do with that? James 1.27, how do we do this? Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Remind you of Romans 12 verse 2 that says, Therefore, do not conform to the patterns of the world, but renew your thoughts. Being unspotted. Here it just begins with two things, the orphans and the widows. But it goes beyond that. What about the foreigners? What about the diaspora people, the people that comes into our community and we say, Lord, but how do we do that? How do we deal with that? Hebrews 6 verse 10, For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you showed for His name when you serve the saints and you continue to serve them. What about the poor? What about the prisoners? What about the people that is hurting and that is bleeding amongst us? This love comes to heal the pain of social injustice. So when you look at this scale on this, uh, on this picture, that's what love does. It comes and it brings equality. Equality in the freedom of religion. Equality in, equality in experiencing love and giving love and celebrating love. 1 John 4 verse 12 to 6 and 16 says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and He who abides in Him, love abides, who abides in His love, abides in God and God in Him. So if you know this love, if you believe in this love, may this love be perfected in us. May this love grow in us. May this love become that we got, which God is wanting to express through us. We have enjoyed the table earlier. We sang that chorus, what is done, what is done. What can you do this morning? What can you do this coming week? In the next couple of weeks, we will be spending time making it more practical. We will have an interview first and foremost next week with Sunel uh, that's working for the Open Home Foundation, looking after orphans and also the parents that takes these children in. The week after that, we will spend some time with some of these parents because they are doing the right thing. But even doing the right thing, they feel so alone. They feel so unsupported. Even though they get support from the foundation and so forth, 
Where is the Jesus support coming from? If you had to be in that situation, if you were wearing the shoes of those children or those, those parents, what would you be feeling right now? What is it that you would want to be doing right now? Let us stand and let's sing the, last, the chorus part of that song again. What is done? What is done? And think about what God is doing right now. That is done. This is done. But it's a continuation through your life and my life this morning. And after that, we will close. Let us sing that chorus part.